Good morning. Can I just, I just got to tell you, I'm, I'm so excited to be with you this morning. I really am. Uh, I'm excited because I, uh, of really what I get to teach. We're in this series, right, the uh, summer mixtape series. And uh, really, it's just a chance for us to, to be able to bring scripture that's I don't know, just really impactful to us. And and this is a a message that God's been building in my heart, uh, in my life over the last number of months. And and I just am so thankful to be able to share it. Uh, I loved what Pastor Travis brought last week, Pastor Brad the week before. And and, uh, I'm just, I'm just excited, all right? Okay, but we got to start off uh, by playing a little game together, and it's going to require that you guys actually interact with one another, okay? This is a game that maybe you played when you were in junior high or high school, but it's just called the Would You Rather game, all right? So number one, would you rather be without elbows or without knees? (laughs) Which one are you going to do? Pick it out, tell the person next to you. Would you rather be without elbows or knees? All right, number two, would you rather never be able to speak again or always have to say everything that is on your mind? (laughs) Some of you need to think about this one, all right? (laughs) Number three, would you rather only be able to whisper for the rest of your life or only be able to shout for the rest of your life? (laughs) <laughs> so we're like, I already know. This one to me is the worst one of all of them. This is the last one. Would you rather have legs as long as your fingers or fingers as long as your legs? <laughs> the more you think about this, the more comical it becomes. Can you imagine little legs like, or fingers where you gotta like scratch your head back here? I just, they're strange. <laughs> Back in 1999, there was a guy named Sean Litton. I met Sean about a year and a half ago, and in 1999, Sean had to make a real life would you rather answer. Now, Sean actually grew up in uh, West Michigan. Grew up uh, on the east side of Grand Rapids, actually. Uh, Family not really connected to church, but he had gone a couple of times when he was growing up. Uh, when he was in middle school, he had a friend invite him to church, and so uh, he went to church. Um, he had a youth pastor, junior high youth pastor, that was uh, passionately in love with Jesus. And this youth pastor shared Christ with Sean. And in middle school, Sean gave his life to Jesus. And uh, Sean really wanted to follow Christ, but um, this youth pastor uh, got called to another church his eighth grade year. Uh, his parents were not really going to church. Even the kids in his youth group really had no interest in in following Jesus at all. In fact, he said there was so much uh, drugs and other things happening within his youth group that he actually had to stop going to youth group to try to stay a Christian. Sean's faith kind of was put on hold, uh, if you will. It kind of stagnated during high school. He still knew he was supposed to live, uh, you know, the way Jesus would want him to live, but he didn't fully know what that would look like or mean or... Sean wound up going off to a college where he got connected to a Christian campus organization. And Jesus just radically transformed Sean's life. Sean had a couple of guys that began mentoring him and building into him. They started challenging him to do crazy things like invite 
people in his dorm room to come to a Bible study and then tell them about Jesus. And Sean wound up uh, doing these, what he thought were just radical and crazy things at the time. And uh, Jesus started showing up and doing amazing things. And, And some of his friends that he invited this Bible study started giving their lives to Christ. And Sean saw Jesus move and become very, very real for him. And Sean got passionate about his faith in college. And when he got out of college, he just thought, well, if I'm super passionate about Jesus, uh, uh, I want to be a lawyer. Um, But obviously you can't be a lawyer and a Christian. So I'm kidding, lawyers. I'm joking. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, Sean actually went into ministry for uh, a couple of years. He said, well, as youth pastor built into me, maybe I should be a youth pastor. And Uh, Sean had some tough things when he was growing up and he had kind of had to work through some baggage that he brought with him and uh, the church that he was at uh, became acutely aware of that and and lovingly walked him through, allowed him to get some counseling, work through some stuff and and, uh, God was at at work in his life and and it was during that time actually that Sean realized, no, all along God had been calling him to be a lawyer. He just didn't really know how those two pieces fit together. So uh, Sean applied for law school got into prestigious Notre Dame law. I'm a Michigan guy, so it's really hard for me to say, but prestigious Notre Dame law. He got in, he actually did really, really well. Not so well that when Sean graduated with his law degree and passed his boards, he got hired into uh, an elite law firm in Washington, D.C. Uh, this law firm, uh, I was just on their website uh, just this past week. Uh, they have over 1,700 lawyers. One of the largest law firms in the country. It's one of the most difficult law firms to actually get into. Uh, they're world renowned and Sean was hired into there and he started busting his tail. Uh, Sean was really, really good at what he did. And everybody around him began to recognize that and he started uh, having more and more opportunities and, and, and his star began to rise in this law firm. Uh, they began to see how good he was and Sean was killing it. Uh, the problem was that the firm was killing him. Uh, he was putting in crazy hours and, and the, uh, the expectations were incredibly intense. Sean, Sean was in his third year at the firm and he had actually been put on a case. It was one of the largest cases uh, that the firm was actually uh, working on. Uh, it actually went to trial. It was in trial for a year long, this case was. And at the end of that year, uh, Sean and his team won. Well, a huge case for the law firm, huge windfall. And, and everybody around Sean was giving him accolades and telling him how awesome he was and, 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 and his star was completely on the rise. Sean said though that he had started feeling completely dead emotionally. The, the work had been taking a toll on him. He was still going to church, but he said I would sit in church and the music would start and I would stand up and I, I couldn't even get words out of my mouth. Now, this was not like Sean, too, because if you ever meet Sean, Sean's actually like a really emotional, like he's a passionate guy. And yet he was just dead. He said, and it was just one particular Sunday, this guy showed up uh, as a guest speaker. His name was Gary. Uh, Sean had never met him, didn't know who he was. Uh, Gary had come to share uh, about this tiny little Christian human rights organization that he had started. And Sean sat there in the pew, just like you guys are today. It was a normal Sunday. And Gary began to tell some stories of what they were attempting to do. And he told one particular story of a girl who had been uh, kidnapped and, and sold into slavery that was being abused 
multiple times a day by people. And it was actually against the law of that country for that to be happening, and yet no one would fight for her. The police didn't seem to care, judges didn't seem to care, the culture was such that that was just fairly normal, and Gary said, we need people who are willing to go overseas and fight for this girl. And instantly, Sean started to feel something. He said, I hadn't felt anything in my heart for months. And in that moment, when Gary was sharing that story, he said something just started to well up. And and I think Sean said that he just started crying right there in in the pew, just crying. You see, Sean knew that uh, he was a good investigator. Uh, Sean knew that he was passionate about justice. Ever since he was young, God had begun to imprint and implant in him a passion for seeing bullies being taken down, for fighting for those who are weak and vulnerable. It was something that just he was passionate about and, and he knew that he was a good lawyer. Hey, here was the problem though. You see, Sean had been slaving away for the last number of years between law school and now this huge law firm in DC so that he could take his career and shoot it forward. You see, Sean didn't plan on staying at the law firm. Kirkland and Ellis was a great place to do law, but you had to give them everything. And what he wanted to do was parlay that three plus years of experience in his law school and his rising star and be able to use that to get the next cush job. In fact, he said, I really hope that I could come back to GR. That's kind of what I was thinking. And I'd get in at one of the uh, top law firms in GR and uh, I'd instantly be put on a, a pathway to become a partner and my salary would just continue to increase and I'd get this great job and I'd have a great house and have a great family and life would be great. Like that was the plan, right? He still loved Jesus. He still wanted to follow Jesus. Like it wasn't like he was walking away, but he's like, that's what I was planning on doing. And now here this dude comes in and he tells me about this girl that's halfway around the world that needs someone like me. But this little tiny Christian organization has no clout whatsoever. They have very limited resources. They're certainly not going to be able to pay me what I'm making right now. It's actually a lot less than he even thought. And he also understood that here he is, a white American male who doesn't speak the language. And now what? He's going to ride in on a white horse like he's here to save the world? Really, is he going to make a difference against the culture that's been a part of this for so long where it's just normal? People even told him that when he started talking about it. Like, dude, you're you're not going to make a difference. You're going to go over there. You're going to spend three or four years. You're going to be a complete failure. You're going to come back. That's really what he expected was going to happen. And as he was sitting there, he started putting all these things on a scale in his mind. A calling that he began to sense from God and all these other things over here. And Sean was left with a legitimate would you rather question that he had to answer. If you have your Bibles today, I'd love you to open up to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, If you need a Bible, the ushers are going to be coming down right now. You can just raise your hand up. Ushers will make sure to get you a copy of Scripture and you can follow along with us. We're going to be looking in Philippians chapter 2. 
Starting in verse 5, that's uh, page 1179, 1179 in those Bibles that the ushers are bringing down. Just hold your hand up. Now, uh, before we jump into this, th- this text is actually a very rich deep, beautiful, textured passage. And I wish I had time to dive into all the different pieces because Paul talks about some very, very powerful things in here. A big chunk of this is the issue of unity. Fantastic topic, but we're not gonna cover it today. He talks about the issue of humility. Another fantastic topic that we're barely going to touch. He talks about the hypostatic union of Christ. Did I just sound smart there? (laughs) That's the whole reason I said that. I want you to think I'm smart. The whole point of that is a beautiful passage that helps us understand that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. We're barely gonna touch that. We could also cover the piece that Paul talks about of how we're to treat one another in the church. We're not gonna cover that. There's one thing that I want us to talk about, one thing that I want us to get from this passage that we're about to dive into. This one thing though has two sides, okay? There's the side of what Jesus does and there's the side of what God does in response to that. What Jesus does and how God responds. One thing, but there's two sides to it and it all hinges on one verse. Let's read it together and we'll go back and look at it. Starting in verse five, Paul says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everything hinges on verse five. You see, Paul says to the Philippians, he says, He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. Have the same mindset as Christ. Now, a lot of times when we hear that word mindset, we think, all right, we're supposed to think like Jesus, right? Like however Jesus thinks, that's how we're supposed to think. But that's not not entirely what Paul has in mind with the language that he uses here. It's not just what Jesus thinks we're supposed to think or that we kind of think the same way that Jesus thinks. It's much more than that. You see, when Paul uses this word, he's not simply talking about cerebral, what's up here. He's actually talking about social, how we interact with one another. You see, when he says we're supposed to have the same mindset, what he means is we're supposed to be like Jesus, think like Jesus, feel what Jesus feels, do what Jesus does, Say what Jesus says. We're supposed to be a people who not just think like, but act like. Be like Jesus. That's what it means when he says, have the same mindset as Christ. And everything that we're going to look at, the main point that I want to talk about today, it hinges on that right there. Be like Jesus. Then he goes on to explain who Jesus was for us, right? 
Verse six, he says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, he's just flat out telling us right there, Jesus is God, like all of God, totally God. All the rights, rights and privileges that God has, Jesus has, because he is the same thing as God. Jesus is God. That's what he's saying right there. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Oh, that's good stuff. Oh, that's okay. Keep, hang out with me. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You, you see, what, what Paul is saying is Jesus was God, totally God. All the things that God has, Jesus had. And Jesus took those things and instead of using them for his own advantage, using though those godness things that he had to make himself more comfortable or more secure or more powerful or whatever the case may be, instead of using them on himself, which he had every right to do, instead he takes all of his strength and he spends it on us by becoming a human, not just a human, but becoming a servant of humans, but not just a servant of humans, by even being willing to die for humankind, but not just dying for humankind, actually dying on a cross for us. Uh, Roman citizens weren't never crucified on a cross because the Roman government thought that it was so lowly and awful that if you were a Roman citizen, you wouldn't be killed on a cross. It was the most despicable, embarrassing, awful, scornful way to die. And Jesus, who was God, takes all of his godness and he spends it on us by becoming a human and a servant and one who dies, even willing to die on the cross for us. My son, Kingston, he uh, just had his birthday back in April, just turned eight. And he loves like anything that is living and walking or slithering, okay? Uh, he loves snakes. He's always catching snakes or toads or frogs or uh, skinks, uh, uh, bugs. He loves bugs. He's always catching bugs. And, and uh, he reminds me of myself when I was a little kid. I was the exact same way. Growing up, I used to catch bees in jars. I don't know if you guys ever did this, but I'd go up to bees, I'd wait till they landed on a flower, and then I'd catch them inside of a jar, and then I'd find another one, and I'd catch that one too, and then I'd shake them up, which probably wasn't a good thing to do, but I, I always loved doing things with like animals. I, in fact, I remember when I was young, and I saw this little stray cat, and it was like dark outside, and I started like meowing to it. And the cat came to me, and I'm like, I can totally speak cat, like it totally, like it knew. It knew, and it came to me. I'm really embarrassed that I can speak cat now, but... It was awesome back then, and my son is just like me in that way. Loves insects and animals. So my wife and I were like, all right, what are we gonna get him for his birthday? So we're at Target, and we literally see uh, that they have ant farms. This is Kingston's ant farm right here. The actual one. Uh, here's what's crazy about uh, this ant farm. It doesn't come with ants in the box, okay? But you literally go on a website and you order ants. <laughs> and they ship you ants. And so we got some ants and they came. Uh, we must not have read all the directions because our ants died about three months later. But uh, yesterday, Kai and I went out and we refilled Kai's ant farm. And ants are so interesting. 
You can watch them walking around in here, moving their little eggs around, starting to build tunnels. And, and I learned a bunch of really interesting facts about ants. Check this out. This is probably going to blow your mind. Did you know that some ants can live up to 30 years old? That's crazy, right? There was an ant in Idaho that actually had lived over 30 years old. Uh, I don't know how you figure out that, you know, that's the same ant after 30 years, but they did and they knew it in 30 years. That's crazy. Uh, the combined weight of all the ants in the world would actually be greater than the combined weight of all the humans in the world. Every year, ants move 50 tons of dirt per square mile. 50 tons of dirt per square mile. Uh, most ants can live up to 24 hours underwater. Some ant species actually use other insects as livestock for their colony. I saw a little video on this. It was crazy. Uh, this ant, they would pick up these little bugs, and then they would walk them in their pinchers to a spot on the plant that they wanted the bug to do something. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it produced more food. And so the ants would bring them there. The bugs would do their thing. The ants would harvest the food. Then they would pick up the bug and bring it back and take care of it until the next day when they would bring it back out again. Ants are crazy, right? Like, they're pretty cool little insects. And, and Kai had his little ant colony and, and, and I love just sitting there watching. In fact, I, I spent way too many hours actually just watching ants do what ants do. I think that they're really interesting. I think the ants are cool. But, but I would never think to myself, hey, I, I want ants to know that I think they're cool and that I love them. So Kingston, uh, I'm going to make you an ant and I'm going to put you in the ant farm. And Kingston, I want you to go in there and I want you to tell the ants that I love them. Uh, but Kai, I, uh, I don't just want you to tell them that you love, I actually want you to become a servant to all the ants. And, and Kai, you need to know something. The, the ants are gonna reject you. In fact, the ants are gonna kill you. You see, friends, I've read this passage a number of different times. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing it. Maybe, like me, you've heard it a, a bunch of times before. And I'll admit, man, I don't get it. Like, I, I get it up here, but I don't really get it here, right? Like, I don't fully understand what it meant that Jesus would take all of his strength as God who has everything and needs nothing, and he would use it to spend it on us. We who are poor so that we could be rich, we who are weak so that we could be strong, that's what Jesus does. He spends it all on us. And Sean knew that. Sean, sitting in the pew, just like you are on a Sunday morning, knew that Jesus had spent all of himself on Sean. Jesus had not held anything back. He came to be a servant, even willing to die for Sean so that Sean could have everything. Sean, who was weak, could become strong. Sean, who was poor, could become rich. Sean understood, and so he had this image of a scale in his head. And he began thinking about all the stuff on this side of the scale. He's making over, well, somewhere around 200 grand a year. But, but that was just about ready to increase big time. He had done so well at the firm. His star was on the rise. He, he, he knew that all the accolades he got as a result of where he worked and what he did and how good he was at it, sitting right over here. His future of what he was going to parlay all that work into, that next cush job, sitting right over here. 
This is what he said, though, in a book that was written by that same guy, Gary, who came to speak at his church. Gary Haugen wound up writing a book called Just Courage. And in that book, he quotes Sean as saying this, I was not so afraid of going as I was of coming back. I was at the top of my profession. I could do anything I wanted. If I went overseas for three or four years to work for some little Christian group, I was sure I would come back to a crappy job, work with crappy people, live in a crappy house, and wear crappy slacks as I drink my crappy coffee while driving my crappy car. (laughs) Kids, do not say crappy. It's not a nice word. But look, that's how he felt. He said that was the biggest thing that was sitting on my scale. He's, I've worked all this time. I've built myself up for this so that I could parlay it into that next cush job. And now I'm going to be asked to give that up. I was actually talking to him uh, a couple months ago and he was telling me a little bit about this story. And he said what I was the most afraid of was the fact that I was going to come home to that and that was going to be my life for the next 40 years. Driving into my crappy job, spilling my crappy coffee on my crappy slacks in my crappy car. And he said, all this sat on this side of the scale. And he said, and this one girl sat on the other side. And he said, instantly in that moment, the scale just tipped toward the girl. It didn't mean that everything that Sean was going to give up wasn't going to be hard to give up, wasn't going to be difficult, wasn't going to be painful. In fact, he wasn't even sure that it was going to work. Sean said that there was more to it than that. He started realizing what it was actually going to cost with friends, monetarily. Reminds me of a story in Mark chapter 10. It's a story of the average young American, Mark chapter 10, you might have heard other people call it the rich young ruler. Verse 17, it says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? A lot of times the rich young ruler gets a bad rap, right? But here's a guy who was legitimately interested in following Jesus. Uh, He ran up to Jesus. Now, you don't run in Middle Eastern culture. That's just not something that happens. Sorry. You don't run up to anybody in Middle Eastern culture, especially as a man, but he does. Why? Because he esteems Jesus and he actually wants to follow him. And you certainly don't run up and then fall down on your knees. But he does. Why? Because he really genuinely esteems Jesus and wants to follow him. And then he even says, good teacher, which is a huge sign of respect, of love, of admiration. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And really his question was about following Jesus. We'll see that in just a second. Can I follow you? Can I know you? Tell me what I need to do. And Jesus says to him, hey, uh, you need to keep the commandments. And and this guy who's surrounded by his fellow uh, citizens, right? They all know him. He's a well-known dude around here. He says, Jesus, I've done all of that. 
And people would have called him out. Like if, if they're like, please, man, you ain't done nothing. No, he really had. He was sincere. He had been trying to do all the things. And look what happens in verse 21. Mark chapter 10, verse 21, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. You see, Jesus wasn't trying to set this kid up. He wasn't trying to take this guy and, and mess with him. Jesus genuinely loved him. And then Jesus says to him, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus, I want to follow you. But I've got great wealth. You see, Jesus always gives us a choice. Sean understood what his choice was going to mean. He lists four things that he realized he was going to have to give up if he was going to follow Jesus the way Jesus was asking him. Number one was comfort. The state of contented well-being, right? We all know what this means, right? A, a big TV, a, a nice pillow, couch, a nice safe house, a reasonably priced vanilla latte, right? Security, freedom from danger. <gasps> I have to give up security? Doesn't God want me to be safe and secure? Control having the power over circumstances and events to achieve a desired outcome. We're like, I don't have that much control. Baloney, compared to the rest of the world, there is no other people that has more control over our lives than us right here. Number four, success. The appearance of wealth and the high regard of your peers. These were all the things that Sean had to say. I'm willing to tip the scales this way. The rich young ruler, unfortunately, couldn't do that. Jesus always leaves us with a choice. But friends, remember how I told you that there's two sides to this point? It's not just what Jesus does, okay? It's also what God does. See, if we continue to read on in Philippians chapter two, looking in verse nine, we see this. Jesus does all this stuff, right? And then it says, therefore, because of this, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus allows himself to be humbled for us. He spends his strength on the weak. He spends his strength on us, all of it. <laughs> Woo! And God raises him up because that's what God does. That, that, that's, what, that's what the kingdom economy does. That's what following Jesus actually looks like. Look, friends, God is calling us. Paul is calling us. I am calling us to live like Jesus, to have the same mindset as Jesus, who is willing to spend his strength on others, his strength on the weak, his strength on the poor. That's what we're supposed to be doing. But here's the awesome, amazing news. <laughs> so good. It's actually best when we do that. You're like, what, you for real, Torin? Like, can you promise me that? Yes, I can promise you that. And it's not just my promise, it's actually God's promise because it's what Jesus promises to us. It's what he says. 
Lose your life and find it. Matthew 16, 25. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are like weak, vulnerable children. Matthew 18, 4. What? Jesus wants me to become weak and vulnerable? Yes. If you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, at least, that's what it's going to take. But I don't like being weak and vulnerable. Me either. You know what happens when you're vulnerable? People take advantage of you. Well, Jesus wouldn't want that, would he? Oh, wait. (laughs) That's what he did. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Matthew 23, verse 12. And look how Jesus continues in Mark chapter 10. Verse 29, Jesus says this. This is right after this interaction with the rich young ruler, or as I like to say, the average young American. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Look, friends, to have the same mindset as Christ is going to be costly, terribly costly, beautifully costly. But it is the most amazing thing you can possibly do. It's actually better for you. Jesus promises it. If you want to find life, then you give yours up. If you want to be exalted, then you humble yourself. If you want to receive a hundred times more than what you got now and forever, then give it away. Friends, oh my goodness, I'm just... I want this so badly for me. And I want this so badly for you. God has called my wife and I and Jordan and Dana, Jordan's wife, to to go and plant a church in Grand Rapids. That's the thing that's on our scale right now. That's what's sitting over here. And I can tell you a, a, a thousand reasons why I'm so crazily excited about doing this. I can give you names of people that I know right now that do not know Jesus. And friends, I believe that heaven is real and I believe that hell is real. And these folks matter to God and they doggone sure better matter to me and to all of us. But I have this side of the scale too. Let me ask you this question. What's on your scale? Take take just a second and close your eyes and allow yourself to think about your scale. What's that comfort look like for you? What's that safety, that control, that success, that security? What does that look like for you? I'll fill you in real briefly about what, what that is for me on my, on my scale. One of the first things is my house. Uh, when I was in high school, I grew up in Flint. Uh, my family was not all that wealthy. And I remember um, my parents were pretty good with their money. And so my junior year of high school, my parents bought uh, five acres with a little pond on it. It was just outside the city of Flint because we grew up like in the city. And we, and we built a house, first um, house my parents had ever built. And, and oh my goodness, like it, that was, to me, it was like the epitome of like what a dream house should be. 
And uh, when I got into ministry, uh, it wasn't because of the lucrative paycheck I was going to get. But God's always been incredibly faithful and generous to us. I've never, ever once been able to outgive God. I've tried a few times, not as much as I'd like to say I have, but I have tried. God always blows my mind. And uh, about four years ago, God called us out here to, to Holland and he wound up uh, allowing us to purchase a, a, my dream house. 10 acres, big old house, beautiful kitchen, little home theater upstairs. My kids can run around and yell and it doesn't matter. There's a pool in our backyard. Kids swim in it every single day. I swim in it. I love it. It's got a big old barn, heated, insulated. I literally put my basketball hoop in there in the winter and I go out in the middle of winter and I shoot hoops in Michigan. It's stupid. No pastor should be allowed to live in this house and yet God allowed us to. You wanna know what sits on my scale? My house does, way more than I'd like to admit it. I've always worked at large churches. I don't know why I didn't grow up in a large church, but from the time that I got out of college, God placed me in large churches. You feel good when you're in a large church. Like, look at me, I've arrived. I like that. <laughs> I wish I didn't as much as I do. And now God's calling me to go start a church that's gonna be really small. And you wanna know the truth? This is gonna be the first time that I've ever been a lead pastor at a church. I've had opportunities in the past and it just never, either didn't work out or we just didn't sense God was calling us and now here I have my chance. You know how many Church plants fail, like one out of five, or excuse me, four out of five. This whole thing could blow up, man. You know what's even scarier to me than that, though? What's even scary to me is that it doesn't, it doesn't uh, fail, uh, it just doesn't succeed. <laughs> and 20 years down the road, it's running, a, you know, 85, 120. That, that, that to me is, seems way scarier. Because then people are like, yeah, that's kind of what Torn can handle. We knew we couldn't do that much. I'm ashamed, to be honest, to, to have to admit that, but that, that's, in my, that's in my side of the scale over here. But you wanna know the, the one thing that's way worse than all those? It's the fact that I'm gonna move my kids out of a place that they love. In a community that we love because of the way that it actually cares for my kids. Out of a school system that has tons of faith-infused teachers and administration, some who even go to this church that love my kids and are trying to help them grow and be successful as much as they possibly can. Uh, schools where my kids have friends who actually love them and, 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 and care for them and are kind to them and a place that my kids love to be and I'm gonna ask them now to give that up and go someplace that's not gonna be as safe, not gonna be as nice, not gonna be as fill in the blank. That to me is way harder. And that's my scale. All of us have a scale. And the thing is, is Jesus gives us the ability to choose which side wins. Gary Haugen in that same book says this. He asked the question, are we raising our children to be safe or to be brave? Are we raising our children to be smart or to be loving? Are we raising them to be successful or significant? <laughs> I want my children to be safe. I really do. 
I don't know any dad that doesn't want that, but you know what I want more than my kids to be safe? I want my kids to be brave. And I want my kids to be smart. I really do. I don't know any dad that doesn't, but I want my kids to be loving more than I want them to be smart. And I want my kids to be successful. But more than I want my kids to be successful, I want my kids to live significant lives. And if I can't lay down a model for them to follow, how will I ever expect them to be able to do the same? You see, friends, at the end of the day, I want to be like Jesus was for me. And I get passionate, I get emotional about it because I want that for you. (laughs) As a shepherd in this church, as a shepherd going out to lead a campus of this church, I care about that. I want that for you so badly. Why? You know why? Because I need you to model it for me. I need you to prove to me that other people can do this too so that I can continue to do it and model it for you so that we can mutually encourage one another, that we can prove to the world that what Jesus says is true, that giving our lives away is actually how we find life, that this is way better, that it doesn't matter what's over here. Even good things, sometimes we give them up so that we can do the best thing, which is follow Jesus, find life. Sean did that. He said he gave up those four things, but he found four other things. Adventure, Mm. faith, real deep faith. He saw miracles, God doing things that only God could do. And he got a deeper knowledge of Jesus. He also got to see 50 men be put in prison due to his investigations for what they had been doing. He saw 200 women and girls be freed from slavery because of what he did. Beautiful, powerful things. We believe that there's 70, give or take, hopefully more give, of you that God has either already started to call or is going to start calling now over these next few weeks to come and participate in this church plant campus in Grand Rapids with Jordan and I. And I know what that's gonna mean for you. For some of you, your family has lived here for generations and it's awesome. And God is asking you right now to give that up, to give up the safety and security, the comfort that you have, to come and follow an adventure. And it is going to be costly and it is going to be painful and you will be persecuted. People will say you're crazy and you're a freak and weird and why would you ever do this and God wouldn't ask you to and and you're gonna do it anyway because you're gonna say, I want Jesus more than I want all these things and Jesus is then gonna show you that this is way better anyway. So for the vast majority of you, that means that you're off the hook. The rest of this message has nothing to do with you. It doesn't matter. You can just pretend you didn't hear it. (laughs) Wouldn't that be nice? I don't know what's on your scale. And I know for some of you, he's calling you to come with Jordan and I, but for most of you, he's calling you to follow him in another way. But I can promise you this, pursuing Jesus will always be better than all of these things over here. Always, always, always. It will not be easy, but it will always be better. You see, friends, you were not created for safety. You were created for bravery. You were saved 
so that like Christ, you can spend your strength on others. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful. And God, I, I, I admit I don't even fully get all of it. But God, I'm so grateful that you allowed Jesus to willingly come to this earth, to take all of his godness and to spend it on me, to spend it on us. God, I want the same mindset as Christ. God, don't allow what I just said today to just be words. God, allow it to be something that is true of my life. Jesus, we want to follow you in your example. God, remind us that it's so much better. We get the things that are better than the things we are giving up. Show us that, God. Give us the faith to believe that, God. Give us the courage to act on that, God. I want that myself. Please, Jesus. We know, God, that you didn't create us for safety but for bravery, God. We want to be people who spend ourselves on behalf of the weak and the vulnerable, those in need. Spend our lives on behalf of others. God, would you help us do that? Jesus, thank you for doing it for us. We love you and we are so thankful for you and we pray all these things in your beautiful and your powerful name. The name of Christ, amen. Guys, uh, I gotta let you go. Um, there... There's a, uh, a little tear off inside your bulletin. If you're interested in learning more about the Grand Rapids campus and one of the things that we're doing as a part of our Stronger Challenge, uh, fill out your information on there. Uh, it's, you're not signing your life away yet. <laughs> but fill that out, you can tear it off. Uh, ushers are gonna be at the back. You can drop those off in little buckets back there. Thank you guys for coming out. I'll see some of you tonight. And the rest of you, I will see you next week. Enjoy this beautiful West Michigan weather. See you next week.